Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may tune in. This is Minister Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and this is today's episode of Truth Tidbits as we continue reading through the scriptures this year. God bless you and welcome to you. We are in the book of Revelation, and we are continuing forward a little bit in Revelation chapter 14 today. To do so, I'd like to go back and read, beginning in verse 1 again, and we're going to read today through verse 7. Then I looked, and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the voice of many waters and like the voice of loud thunder. And I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. They sang, as it were, a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders, and no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. These are the ones who were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. They are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These were redeemed from among men, being firstfruits to God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no deceit, for they are without fault before the throne of God. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment has come, and worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water. I want to stop there today, and I'd like to cover one remaining part of the first several verses about the 144,000, and then let's transition to this new instrument that God is going to use now in his ultimate plan and in the ultimate fulfillment of the entirety and wrap-up that is recorded for us in the book of Revelation. So let's discuss this briefly today. In the last episode, we looked at the timing factor. We considered the fact that it appears to be that these 144,000 also find their welcome into heaven in approximately the midpoint of the tribulation, perhaps at the same time or around the same time as the two witnesses that we've already addressed in earlier episodes. These are the same 144,000 that were sealed with the Father's name, we're told, in Revelation chapter 7. We see them being sealed in answer to the question left in Revelation chapter 6. Now we're finding them at the end of their ministry, three and a half years into the tribulation, which puts them at that middle point. And we see that they are singing a song, a song of praise and redemption, how they've been redeemed to the Lord. They're singing a song that only they know the lyrics to. We are not given the lyrics to that. Now, if you'll remember back in Revelation 4 and 5, we looked at the song of the redeemed that's sung in Revelation chapter 5. And I consider that one to be Psalm 151, let's say. And we are given the lyrics for that song. But here we come to, let's call it Psalm 152, we'll just say. 
And there, we're not given the lyrics. There are lyrics that the 144,000 will know and will sing, but we're not told. So that's one of those mysteries and surprises we get to look forward to in that day for all those who know Jesus Christ and are going to be in heaven with them. We're told that these are the first fruits. And I believe this is really referencing the first fruits of the saved Jews. But this means also by them being called the first fruits that more are coming. Now, we know that these 144,000 are Jewish. Revelation chapter 7 told us that. They're coming out of every tribe, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes that are listed in Revelation chapter 7. And so I want us to discuss just briefly this idea and this concept of the first fruits, which is Jewish. The Jewish people reading the scriptures will understand this concept of the first fruits in reference to their festivals that they have been instructed by God in the Torah to complete and to continue observing. The first fruits was what was set aside for the Lord, and it was a portion or a tithe, we might say, that was brought at the very first of the harvest. When they would go out and begin to collect the harvest, they would reap first some first fruits and designate those as special to be set aside for the Lord and for him only as a special offering. Now, when they did that, there was some, there was a large degree of trust that they had to have in the Lord. They trusted the Lord when they had to go to Jerusalem to offer the first fruit offering in those days because there was more standing harvest in their fields that they would leave behind. And in trusting God and going in obedience, they were entrusting the Lord to take care of their standing harvest that yet remained. The first fruits was before they gathered or could enjoy the rest of the harvest. They were not even to eat of the rest of the harvest until the first fruits had been offered. So it was before the rest of the harvest could be enjoyed. These would bring blessing if they obeyed the Lord and went and offered the first fruits. It brought blessing on the rest of the harvest. And it also guaranteed the rest of the harvest because God promised it to be so. By offering the first fruits, God then would bless the remaining harvest. Now the feast and these first fruit offerings are discussed in several places in the Torah. I'll just mention a few of those. You can do your own research, certainly, and look these up. Leviticus chapter 23 gives us the listing and a summary of all the ordinances concerning the feasts of the Lord. And I do have a study on the Feast of the Lord if you'd like to explore that some more. But Leviticus 23 gives us summary details about those. You also might find some more information on the Feast and on specifically the first fruits in Exodus chapter 23 and chapter 34. Leviticus 2 mentions bringing the first fruits offering. And Deuteronomy 26 speaks a lot about the first fruit offering. I want to pick up and read a couple of places concerning the first fruits and how it applies with the Jewish people. I want to really focus in here 
for today, for this discussion, in Exodus chapter 23. And I want to begin the reading in verse 14. Three times you shall keep a feast to me in the year. This is the Lord speaking. You shall keep the feast of unleavened bread. You shall eat unleavened bread seven days as I commanded you at the time appointed in the month of Abib. For in it you came out of Egypt. None shall appear before me empty. And the feast of harvest, the first fruits of your labors which you have sown in the field. And the feast of ingathering at the end of the year when you have gathered in the fruit of your labors from the field. Three times in the year all your males shall appear before the Lord God. You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leavened bread, nor shall the fat of my sacrifice remain until morning. The first of the firstfruits of your land you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. Now God here is telling them the instructions about bringing the firstfruits and that the first fruits are the gathering. They are the, they are the first of the crop and they are to be brought to the house of the Lord, the temple in those days, the tabernacle and the temple. And they are to be offered to the Lord. Now let's look next at Exodus chapter 34, verse 23 and 24. Three times in the year, all your men shall appear before the Lord the Lord God of Israel. For I will cast out the nations before you and enlarge your borders. Neither will any man covet your land when you go up to appear before the Lord your God three times in the year. So God is promising divine covering and protection if they will honor him by taking the first fruits of their land to the Lord in the tabernacle in the temple in Jerusalem. God was very serious about the first fruits, and these applied to the Jewish nation. Now, we are also a first fruit unto God. Paul tells us that in the epistles, and so that does apply to the church. But at this time in Revelation chapter 14, these first fruits are the first fruits of the Jewish people. They're the first fruits of the Jewish nation. God promised he would take care of the rest of the harvest, and he promised by offering the first fruits that it would guarantee a blessing on the rest of the harvest. Now I want you to see this applying to the Jewish people. Praise be to God. And I want to turn to Romans chapter 11. In Romans chapter 11, I want to begin the reading in, in verse 22 and read several verses. Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God. On those who fail severity, but toward you goodness, if you continue in his goodness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. I want to stop right here. Paul, in this section, is talking about the olive tree. And the olive tree represents Israel. But he's talking about the branches that have been broken off because they refused the Messiah that God sent. They rejected Jesus, and therefore their branches were broken off. They're not connected to the vine. They're not connected to the true tree, the olive tree. And so they rejected him, so they've been broken off. Other branches, though, are there. We had the original apostles, etc., and the 
the remnant of those that stayed that are like first fruits to God in that sense. And then we also had the Gentiles that were grafted in. So Paul is saying here that even those branches that have been broken off, in other words, even the Jewish nation and the Jewish people that rejected Jesus, if they will repent and call upon God and receive God's goodness in drawing them to him, God is able to graft them in again. Continuing in the reading, verse 24, For if you, meaning the Gentiles, were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, who are the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? Jesus was a Jew. He came through the Jewish nation. He came as part of the Jewish people. So that's what Paul is talking about here. The natural branches, being the Jewish people, can now be grafted into their own olive tree. Continuing on in the reading, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So Paul is helping us understand that because of their rejection of Messiah, God's judgment of blindness has fallen upon them. Now it's not complete blindness and it's not permanent blindness. It's blindness in part, but it has happened to them until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, he says here. Verse 26, And so all Israel will be saved as it is written. The Deliverer will come out of Zion, and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Paul is saying here that there's coming a day when there will be a Jewish revival when there will be the Jewish people turning to Jesus, calling upon him, and the nation and the people at that time will be saved and will turn to him and he will wash away their sins. Verse 28, concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. In other words, for the sake of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the patriarchs who God gave the promises to, Notice verse 29, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. In other words, that covenant that God made with the fathers, with the patriarchs, God is going to see it through and he's going to work to draw his people back to him. So God is saying that all Israel will come and be saved in a coming day. And these 144,000 have now shown that and are the first fruits of that as proof and as anticipation of the coming harvest of the Jewish people. Praise be to God. So when the first fruits were gathered in and offered to the Lord, God promised the rest of the harvest would be coming. And in this time period, in this midpoint of the tribulation, God is going to draw them. Remember, the abomination of desolation is going to be set up also. And God is going to draw them into the wilderness because Hosea 2.14 promises that he will allure them there. And they're coming back to Jesus. They're going to call upon him and say, Baruch Habab Hashem Adonai. They're going to call and say, Blessed be the name of the Lord our God that comes. Blessed be he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they're going to turn and repent of their sins. Mourn for him as for an only son and receive him. Hallelujah. 
So now we see a transition. The 144,000 in Revelation chapter 14 are the first fruits to God and to the Lamb, but they've now been taken up to the heavenly Mount Zion. We talked about that in the last episode. We see them singing this new song that we don't, we're not given the lyrics to, but they will know it and they will sing it. And they're singing it before God on the throne, before the four living creatures and the 24 elders in heaven before the Lamb in that day, the heavenly Mount Zion. So now we have a transition, okay? Let's understand that. God will always go to great lengths to see that his word is proclaimed and that no one can ever stand before him and give excuse to him and say, I never heard, I was never told, I never saw you in your creation, I never had the opportunity to get to know you. Not one person will ever be able to stand before God and legitimately make that excuse. And God sees to it. He sees to his word going forth. There's not one dud seed in the word of God. Every one of them will come to pass. And his word is not void. It is not empty. It will always produce the harvest that God has sent it forth to produce. It will always accomplish the work that God sent it forth to accomplish. I want us to read a couple of quick passages on that. The first one is found in Jeremiah chapter 1, and I want to read beginning in verse 11. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see a branch of an almond tree. Then the Lord said to me, you have seen well, for I am ready to perform my word. God stands at the ready, watching over his word, and in due time, every seed of his word will come to pass Hallelujah. The next place I want us to look at is Isaiah chapter 55. And in Isaiah chapter 55, I want to begin the reading in verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Now he's using an analogy here. So he's talking about the rain that comes down and the snow from heaven. When it comes down in that liquid form of rain, it will accomplish things. It will come down. It doesn't return to heaven until after it has watered the earth. And then there's the water cycle where it will evaporate back up, collect in the clouds, and God will bring blessing of rain again. But every time the rain comes, it is accomplishing something. Every time it is sent forth, it is working things. It is doing things. It is giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. It is blessing the vegetation. It is blessing the earth. It is blessing the soil so that the crops can soak up from the soil, the nutrients and the water that they need, and they can produce a harvest. It's sent forth to produce. It is sent forth to accomplish things. And this is the analogy that God is using when he now says in verse 11, so, in that same manner, 
so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void or empty or useless. It will accomplish something. He says, continuing, but it shall accomplish what I please and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. In other words, just like the rain is given on the earth and it accomplishes things that are good for the plants and for mankind and for the vegetation and for the earth, so too is God's word when it goes forth from his mouth. Every word, there's not one dud seed that comes forth from it. Every single word of the Lord is going to accomplish what he pleases and it's going to prosper, advance, and successfully complete its mission in whatever God sent it to do. And so all of these things are just as true now when we get to Revelation and the end of things that are wrapping up as they have been all along. God's word is going to go forth and God's word will be accomplished. Hallelujah. God is going to ensure that his truth, his word, is sent forth to all generations. I want to look at that and it will stand and be just as effective to every generation as much as it has been from the very first. Let's look at two quick scriptures. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 8 says this, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. And then in Psalms, in Psalm chapter 100, verse 5, it says this, For the Lord is good, His mercy is everlasting, and His truth endures to all generations. That's just as true today as it was 3,000 years ago or so when David wrote it. And it's just as true today as it will be in Revelation chapter 14, when that happens, his word is going forth. It will endure to all generations because God will see to it. He will see to it that his word is going forth. He goes to great lengths to save people and to see that his word is sent out to accomplish what it pleases. Praise God. The word of the Lord stands forever and it will be accomplished. He will see to it that his truth, his gospel message goes forth. Now, the gospel is all about Jesus. Jesus is the central figure from the book of Genesis all the way through the book of Revelation. He is the one. This book is written by one author. That is the Holy Spirit of the living God with one central figure. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ and the everlasting gospel. So now in Revelation chapter 14, we see that God is going to use a new vehicle to get his message, his gospel to the people. He chooses now to use a new instrument, a new vehicle that he is choosing to use. Keep in mind that by this time, we believe the scriptures teach that the church will be gone in what's called the rapture of the church. And we believe that that event will happen before the tribulation even starts. We believe that there are several factors in Revelation 4 and 5 that show us that, as well as many other scripture passages. And we've covered that 
in quite some detail in some earlier episodes of this broadcast. The church is gone. Then we have God instituting the message and the gospel being proclaimed through two witnesses and 144,000 Messianic Jewish men. That's what he's going to use during the first half of the tribulation. But now we see the two witnesses have been taken up to heaven and we see evidence. It appears that the 144,000 are now standing in heaven. And yet John continues on showing what else is going to happen after that. So for the last half of the tribulation, God is instituting a new vehicle to use for his gospel, the everlasting gospel, to go forth. That new vehicle is an angel. He has chosen to grant an angel. This is the first of three special angels that we will look at in this chapter. But this particular angel has this special assignment. This particular angel is given and entrusted the stewardship to deliver the everlasting gospel to the entire world. Let's look at that. Let's first of all understand a little bit about an angel and how they relate to God and God's assignments to them. I want to look at Psalm chapter 33, and I want to read Psalm 33 beginning in verse 8. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He makes the plans of the people of no effect. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Then let's look at this one. In Psalm chapter 103 and verse 20 and 21, it says this, Bless the Lord, you his angels, who excel in strength, who do his word, heeding the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all you his hosts, you ministers of his who do his pleasure. So in other words, this is telling us, and the other psalm that we read, God's going to see to it. He speaks it forth and it's done. Now he chooses the instruments and the vehicles he's going to use to accomplish that when he chooses so. And in this passage in Revelation 14, he now chooses an angel on special assignment, delivers to them the eternal everlasting gospel and sends them forth on this mission to the earth to proclaim this and to herald this word, this good news from the Lord to the entire globe. This angel is going to preach or herald. It's almost like the old time town criers you might have heard about. And he's going to herald and preach the everlasting gospel. Now, beloved friend, you will find throughout the scripture, there is only one everlasting gospel. That is the true gospel. As a matter of fact, Paul gave explicit warnings against anyone who brought any other gospel. Paul was not the only one. There are others in the scriptures also, and I would encourage you to study that out because we need to beware 
that we do not fall for any deceptions today that are trying to promote any other gospel other than the truth of God's word. I want us to look in Galatians chapter 1. In Galatians chapter 1, I want to begin reading in verse 6 and read through verse 9. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you, then what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you, then what you have received, let him be accursed. Paul is very serious here, and he's giving a very stern warning. He says, you don't believe any other gospel that contradicts the gospel of Jesus Christ laid out by Paul in the epistles, laid out by the gospels, laid out by the New Testament authors. He says, if anybody, including an angel from heaven, ever comes to deliver any other gospel, you reject it because they are to be accursed. This is very serious. Now think about this. Paul writes this long before, probably 30 years or so, before revelation is given to John. I don't know if it was a prophetic revelation that Paul had or what, but it's very interesting that Paul makes this declaration and issues this stern warning and includes an angel coming from heaven delivering of a gospel message. And now we have John in Revelation 14 writing about this angel that will come during the last part of the tribulation and that will deliver the everlasting gospel, heralding it. Paul is warning that it's all about Jesus and the only true gospel is the gospel of Jesus Christ as recorded in the word of God and delivered through the apostles and the authors of the New Testament and including the authors of the Old Testament because many of the New Testament writers tied in the Old Testament scriptures. It's all one book written by one author, the Holy Spirit, and it has one central figure, and that is Jesus Christ and his good news. It's all about Jesus, who he is, and believing and receiving him for salvation. This is the message. Now, I do want you to notice this, though. Right now, the gospel message is going forth, and some are getting saved out of just recognizing the love of God and the goodness of God, and it's drawing them to real and sincere repentance. Others are getting saved out of fear, out of godly reverence and fear. The We might call that the, the hellfire and brimstone preaching. And much of that happened many years ago. God will use anything to reach the people. But I want you to make note of this because now in Revelation 14, when it's the last half of the tribulation and God is sending this everlasting 
gospel through this angel to come to the earth. Notice that he is to deliver it to everybody, every tribe, every nation, every people, every language. Everybody on the globe will hear the gospel at that time. Now, what is the gospel he's going to deliver? It's going to be Jesus Christ. But notice that the tone is a little bit different in the sense that now he comes forth and he says, fear God. In other words, it's a call for them to repent and believe on Jesus. And he goes on and he talks about because time's running out. This is a time for fearful turning. There's only the three and a half years left and the fiercest of all of God's judgment will be poured out during that time. So this angel is coming forth and he is delivering the gospel. Yes, he is delivering the one eternal good news of Jesus, but he's doing it because God has passion. He is passionate enough and he is faithful enough to try to grab people out of the fire when necessary. He will use whatever vehicle and whatever tone he chooses to reach the people in that day. And in that day, they need to understand it's time to get right with God. Fear the Lord your God. I want to draw to a close by looking at Jude chapter 1, verse 22 and 23. Jude is writing here. He's talking about sharing the gospel. He's talking about people getting saved. He's talking about living right and all of that. And he says this in verse 22, And on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. We see one aspect of that happening with this angel. God is faithful enough and he is merciful enough He's going to give them chance after chance. But now things are drawing to the end and the opportunity to make a firm decision for Jesus Christ is coming to its conclusion. And so this angel will go forth proclaiming the everlasting gospel of Jesus, but in such a way that people know you better get right with God because the judgment is on its way and time is running out. It will be a call to all, every person, and a call to worship Him, not the creation. The call is for them to fear God and get right with God, worship Him, the Creator of the heaven and earth. In that time, I believe, and we're starting to see evidence that things may be going in that direction even now, there will be earth worship. They're going to worship the creature rather than the Creator, like talked about in Revelation. And God is sending an angel and he is saying, you better worship me. I'm the one that made all of this. Get out of this idolatry. Turn from your sins and repent before it's too late. Get right with God. And God in his love and in his mercy and in his faithfulness will see to it that his word is proclaimed and that every person, even in the worst time of this tribulation, will still hear the good news of Jesus Christ and be able to give their lives to Him and even offer their lives for Him in martyrdom if necessary. 
God will go to great lengths always to reach people and to give them the opportunity to turn to him. Praise be to God. I pray that this has been a blessing to you. And Lord willing, you can join us again for future episodes of Truth Tidbits. God bless you. In Jesus' name, amen.